I'm Nicola Kelly, and this is Silenced, a podcast from human rights organisation Article 19. In each episode of this series, we'll hear the stories of journalists and activists around the world whose governments attempt to rein them in and cover up the truth. In 2019, just before the coronavirus pandemic gripped the world and forced us indoors, some very different images began to emerge from Hong Kong of tens of thousands of people gathering in the streets to demand change. The pro-democracy protests that erupted against the controversial extradition bill had a precedent known as the Umbrella Movement, when scores of people occupied main squares around the city, putting up umbrellas to protect themselves against the pepper spray police used to disperse the crowds. In both series of events, protesters were met with police brutality, arrests and prison sentences, and many were forced to flee and live in exile. Alex Chow was one of the most prominent leaders of the Umbrella Movement. Here he describes his involvement in the fight for democracy in Hong Kong and the struggles he's endured in his personal life as a result. I remember the night I firstly encountered the Umbrella Movement. That was the night that I came out of the prison because like right before the Umbrella Movement, a group of students, including myself, were detained in the police office just because we launched an action trying to occupy the civic square outside the headquarters of the government officials, and we got arrested. And the purpose of that action was just hoping to rally more people to come in support of the student strike. And because of the rest, uh, many citizens and protesters actually like well flooded to the street and tried to support the students. So I was detained for two full days without knowing what happened outside. When the lawyers came in and visited us like alone, I was notified. Hundreds of thousands packed the streets of downtown Hong Kong as police fired as many as 87 cans of tear gas. Determined demonstrators shielding themselves with umbrellas and spawning the so-called umbrella revolution. Thousands and thousands of protesters, Hong Kongers, actually were occupying the streets uh, outside the civic square, outside the government headquarters. All the roads, they were turned into occupied zones full of like people. And you could rarely see police because when the police try to like eliminate protesters by using tear gas, uh, protesters would fight back. And during the time in prison, I could only look at how the protest was like with the iPhone shown by my lawyers. When I was released at night and we took a rest at the university campus for a while, then we moved to the protest zone. That was the first, the, the very first moment I stepped into Armatin, one of the three largest occupied zones in Hong Kong. So Armatin was usually considered as the hub, the center of the political and commercial center in Hong Kong. So it was also one of the most vibrant road, like with cars, uh, with business people, uh, with financial investors, bankers, professionals, and so on. But the moment I stepped outside the car and tried to look at the roads, it was filled with people and they were all chanting with their phones on. And you don't know like what went on because it was so surreal. When I came out of the prison, I was sick. I, I wasn't able to sleep for a few days, and that's why I was extremely unwell. 
but uh, looking at the people, you simply you just wanted to shout because you want to express your gratitude. You want to thank them, to thank like everyone in the Occupy Zone for coming out, for supporting us, for supporting students. And these people, they are actually the embodiment of the democracy movement. Uh, without them, democracy movement would would not happen. It would not exist. The democracy movement is about the people. Britain handed over Hong Kong to China in 1997, promising the island would preserve some of its autonomy. But protesters say Beijing is reneging on that promise, dictating which candidates can even run for higher office. Alex Cho was arrested here. You negotiate, you vote, you demonstrate, you ask the government to reform, but you could see all the members were losing their power. And then you have no way but turn to civil disobedience action. So I was detained multiple times during the umbrella movement. And after the umbrella movement, I was also charged by, by the government with participating in unlawful assembly. So I was convicted in 2017 and then got thrown into prison. The experience of being detained by police, we realized we could walk out from the police department just because you could at most be detained for 48 hours. We would be detained as a group just because like, well, the police was still trying to learn how to handle the mass number of protesters. The experience of being detained was different from like the experience of being imprisoned by the correctional department. So um, while we were detained, we would put into a different cell, like well, individually, just because like the police would not want us to communicate. And the police also acted more aggressively, like at the latest stage of the umbrella movement, just perhaps the police also received order asking or urging them to be more aggressive politically so that the protesters realize that now the police and the government also changed their tactics. And perhaps like the police themselves, the police officers themselves also adopted a different attitude when the protest uh, moved on. Uh, the police might be more uneasy, less patient, uh, with more anger towards the protesters, just because for most of the time, the police officers, they were not like, pro-democracy group of people, uh, they would rather remain their neutrality. And most of them uh, would also pledge their loyalty to the government uh, instead of the pro-democracy movement. Some police officers, I think they were trying to be nice to students. Like, well, some of them, not all of them are, are that anti-students. Some of them would treat us as naive, inexperienced youngsters asking us like, well, why would you guys engage in civil disobedience movement? And why will you guys risk your future of being arrested? It was totally unreasonable. You realize that the government would not back down. Why would you still like try and protest against the government? They simply find it like amazing and amused uh, because they could not understand the, the rationale of taking yourself to the street at all. But by listening to their uh, grievances and how they think about uh, the democracy movement, you also realize that some of the police officers, uh, they were not that one-sided. Like, well, they were not totally loyal to the government. They simply did not understand like the rationale of fighting for democracy. So those moments were 
also moments that you felt like well, there is still a lot of room that, that you could fight on and try to change their mind so that you could ask more people, including the police officers, to join your movement. Uh, so those moments also sort of like empower myself just because you know like people on both aisles of the political spectrum, they are not as static. They could be swayed. They could be moved. The critical part is how you could adopt or use more tactics so you could speak to their heart. And that is the moment that you feel like you just have to keep on being detained or being imprisoned by the correctional department. That was a totally different experience just because when I was uh, convicted and being put in jail in 2017, I realized that it was unlike the police detention center. You could not walk out within 48 hours. You was uh, laid down a charge, laid down a ruling, being sent to prison for at least uh, seven months. And that could be longer. And it all depends on your performance like in the prison. So while I noticed that like we would be in prison for at least like several months, it is a really uh, mixed feelings. On, on one hand, you realize that it's not that long. It is just several months. Uh, you would still walk out one day uh, after serving your term. It is unlike like a longer term that you might imprison for a year or for years. So compared to some other protesters uh, who got charged for engaging in violent act or uh, subverting the stakes, it was a relatively light charge. But on the other hand, you also realize that you won't be able to see or even hug uh, your mom, your dad, uh, your partners, and also your friends. You could not hand out as freely as you were a free man. And by uh, being in the detention center, the people you hand out with, most of them are seen as criminals. So that was a totally different experience uh, many of the inmates in prison, they are not political prisoners. Uh, they did not being put in jail because of their political participation or their political belief. They were in jail perhaps because uh, they were engaged in drug trafficking or making fraudulent claim or controlling uh, prostitutes. But by being with this group of people, it was also a new experience just Perhaps because while you were out of prison, you rarely encounter or cross paths with this group of people. And this group of like uh, so-called criminals, they were actually living on the margin of the society. They were usually not being seen by like, well, uh, ordinary Hong Kong citizens. The, the experience of staying in prison, of encountering with these uh, criminals, it actually gave you a new sense of understanding the city itself. Uh, because like, well, you thought about a lot of questions about when you fight for democracy, what does democracy really mean? If democracy could not be translated into a system that could cater for people, including these criminals, then how could a system work for the citizens in the city? And when you think of these people, they have a lot of grievances about like, well, they were not receiving enough training while serving their terms. So when they came out of prison, they actually could not find a job. So many of them would end up doing the same like dirty work as they did which make them like ending up in prison. They may engage in gangsters again. They may engage in prostitutes again. They may engage in drug trafficking again. So those questions really shook your belief 
and urge you to rethink how、uh, politics has to work alongside economy, so that the social system could really work well、uh, for every individual. And that was also the moment that I felt like, oh, Jesus, perhaps we have to study more and think harder. About how we could reform the city, and democracy perhaps is as one of the very first steps to regain control、uh, of of the people, so we can govern by voting our leaders. But what kind of policies would be implemented in the city? That's another really critical question. Surely, like well, we could not think about or propose any policy-wide question because we were not able to like elect our city leader. But those questions were also a part of the democracy movement. We have to think about like well, how a post-democratic Hong Kong would be like. Since the 26th of September, police have arrested 310 persons, including 265 males and 45 females, for offences including unlawful assembly, disorderly conduct in public place, assault, criminal damage, resisting arrest, assaulting police, and obstructing police. Another insight that I got in prison was that I really care about my family, uh, uh, my my mom and my dad. Uh, being in prison, it was really hard to see them. And for inmates, usually you will only be given four times、uh, a month to to meet with your family members or friends who who you put their name on the list. So like, well, your family members might usually come and visit you twice a month. So I remember, like, there was a time my mom、uh, came alone and she visited me. Before she sat down, she cried. And I was very upset, just because like you didn't expect your mom to cry, and by she crying, it meant that she was suffering, and she was really in pain, and didn't want to see like her son like putting up an inmate's shirt, sitting on the other side of the glass, ah,、uh, being unable to touch her son and kiss her son. And that was a really painful moment because you started like asking yourself, "What have you done to cause your mom、uh, such immense suffering? And、uh, is it worth it?、Uh, why we have to encounter or undergo this kind of huge suffering, being separated, being punished?" Uh, if you feel like it's all right to be punished alone, but with your mom also being punished and your friends and your loved ones, that was totally like unacceptable and and disproportionate. You fight for yourself.、Uh, you fight for democracy, and the government should punish you alone if they disagree with your act. But by punishing you, the protesters, the political activists. They are also trying to punish and discipline their relatives, their beloved ones,、uh, folks who are attached to to people who are politically vocal. That was also a moment you realize, like how how the city and how a huge amount of population was being governed、uh, by the government. So walking out from the prison、uh, several months later, like. 
ex- the experience of being in prison only reinforced uh, my belief, my conviction in fighting for democracy, in fighting for myself and also m- my people, because uh, we realized uh, every 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 moment of being punished, every count- encounter of being locked up, uh, they only tell us uh, a more a more explicit story that the city, the land, the place does not belong to us. Uh, we could only reclaim our future by really regaining the right to democracy, the right to uh, elect our leaders and the right to make policy so that like the, the place could be governed by the people, but not a small group of elites that would dictate our future. Street battles are the new normal in Hong Kong, and they're getting more violent by the day. Police have fired live rounds on protesters, and they have ramped up arrests. Honestly speaking, I didn't expect Hong Kong to be like this. When we were thinking about the future of Hong Kong after the Umbrella Movement, many of us were thinking of how to strategize among the new generation. So we will have like about enough experts in different industries or different scopes uh, to excel ourselves and also to form a greater coalition so that when the time comes, we'll have like a stronger force uh, to, to fight for democracy and to really win the battle and to win the war. So in 2018, after coming out of the prison, I decided uh, that I would just go to the States to pursue a doctoral degree. So I was thinking to really like study environmental economy, agricultural economy, and how an alternative economy could really like help and support Hong Kong in the long run. And then you have the 2019 protest, the 2019 uprising, uh, anti-extradition movement. In many, many places tonight are scenes like this of complete chaos, of running street battles between protesters and riot police. This is right next to many five-star hotels. This is the heart of Hong Kong's tourist and shopping district. So I was briefly in Hong Kong in June to witness like the very beginning of the uprising to see like well, how a similar scene resurfaced in Hong Kong, like protesters started like occupying Amartin. So that was the very first act of the of the anti-extradition movement. So when when it broke out, you 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 had a similar question like by asking yourself, uh, was that enough? Uh, simply by occupying? But occupiers or Hong Kongers in general uh, transformed and evolved from the umbrella movement. Folks adopted a more diverse set of tactics. You know that something is upside down in society when students at the top university use their empty Olympic swimming pool to practice throwing Molotov cocktails. So like, well, it was not simply about occupying, but about dispersing across the city, occupying different sites. And they might not like, well, remain in the occupied site, but trying to adopt the principle of be water, come and go so that the police could not arrest them. But you also like make more noise and to engage with more residents in Hong Kong by like launching different creative work, like say like putting on a landlong war, a colorful war uh, across the streets. So like protesters could put on their signs, uh, their thoughts on the wall by writing on a little like a colorful paper. And that was like a really visual moment. So those moments all capture 
the heart of Hong Kongers. I think it also like captured the hearts of many uh, international viewers uh, who have a lot of like sympathy over Hong Kong's protests in 2021. Clearly, there were two routes ahead. One route is to return to Hong Kong and remain in Hong Kong, uh, risking yourself uh, to be imprisoned the next day after you land Hong Kong, just because as political activists or as one of the uh, public-facing activists, you realize that like the government would not let you go easily. They would try to arrest you and try to crack down uh, any dissidents that might be able to mobilize people. So as long as you are in a city walking freely, it is a risk, it is a threat uh, to the government, uh, to the officials, to the authority. The clear message from the police today, if you surrender, you will be arrested. Bearing that in mind, you realize the risk. Even if you return to Hong Kong, you might not be able to contribute as you hope to be vocal, uh, to contribute uh, Hong Kong uh, politically. So another route is to think about how to contribute from afar. Uh, but the trade-off is for a long period of time, you would not be able to return to Hong Kong. Just by being vocal from afar, being vocal overseas, being in diaspora and try to do political work, say like engaging in advocacy work in DC, Washington, trying to build up the Hong Kong diaspora in the United States and elsewhere. It also meant that like, well, you're trying to take up a leadership role by being in the diasporic community. That itself also would put you under the crime and the charge of subverting the state or colluding with foreign forces under the national security law. So that also meant that your life in diaspora is a life in exile. And that was really a pain deep down in my soul, just because you realize either route, they meant sacrifice. You have to sacrifice something so that you could keep going and walk along the path. And, and there's nothing, there's no a single route that you could walk freely without causing you something valuable or something that you treasured a lot. There surely is a lot of pain, a lot of loss uh, that you couldn't really take it for granted or take it easily just because the pain of not being able to hang out with your friends, your comrades, uh, your family members, it is a huge loss. And I think one of the idea and spirit of being humans is to is to be around your community members so you you could feel loved and be loved but being separated for your from your community members and also your comrades it meant that like well your path would be alone your path could be lonely and you would need to find new companions along the way so you could build like a greater coalition. And now you realize that it is a fight for Hong Kong's democracy, but it is also a bigger fight between people who want to govern the place and their community members in a really particular way that we call like authoritarianism and people who want to stay and remain free to govern in a way with consensus, uh, with free and open election, with uh, a community building, with deliberation that you could like, well, distribute resources in a more fair way so that the city and the planet could be governed in a more sustainable manner. So I think like, well, the fight itself what what stands behind the fight or what stands at the core of the fight is really the difference of values. What kind of values are you upholding? And if those values are what you believe in, then you just have to keep on fighting. 
because those values would drive a different society, a radically different governing system, uh, civilization that would like point us toward a different future. So at this crossroad, I see a lot of suffering in myself, my companions, my friends, my comrades. I think we are all suffering every day because we realize that the community of Hong Kongers is incomplete. We are being separated. We are being punished. We are being disciplined uh, for the very reason of wanting democracy, wanting freedom. And you would have to sacrifice something that you treasure dearly so you could go on with the journey and to reach the end point and the end game that you could really see like a group of people could regain their, their right and, and their fight. So after like a long internal debate and internal struggle, I would feel like it is worth it. It is worth it in a sense that like, well, as long as you do not give up, as long as you believe in your values and to remember and to gauge and to imagine how those values would really bring ultimately a better world uh, to you yourself, your beloved ones and your community, then you see the reason of keep going, of keeping your fight, of keep walking the path. So all the sacrifice that you have already paid would not be in vain. Silence is hosted by me, Nicola Kelly, and produced by Christopher Hooten. Original music is by Julian Wharton, and sound design is by Rick Morris. Thanks to Alex Chow for his time. We've sadly come to the end of the first series now, but our stories are evergreen, so feel free to dip in and out over the summer, and we'll see you back at this feed soon for more episodes from journalists and activists around the world. Until then, thanks for listening.